Well, the movie The Martian is about a NASA mission to Mars. 18 days into their mission, this fierce storm takes over the planet. The astronauts are outside of the spaceship and when the storm blows through, one of the astronauts, Mark Watney, gets tossed to the side, hit with debris. And with the spaceship about to tilt over, which would have ruined all of their chances to get the safety, the astronauts rush back without Watney and make the heartbreaking decision to leave the planet. Little did they know, or anyone else for that matter, that Mark Watney survived the storm and the damage done to his body with the flying debris. And what we see in this first clip, we pick up as Mark Watney makes his way back to the, um, the environment in which he was able to um, rest in. astronaut. I'm entering this log for the record uh, in case I don't make it. Uh, it is 0653 on Sol 19 and I'm alive, obviously, but I'm guessing that's going to come as a surprise to my crewmates and to NASA and to the entire world, really. So... Surprise, I did not die on Sol 18, uh, best I can figure. This length of our primary communications antenna broke off and tore through my biomonitor and ripped a hole in me as well. Uh, but the, the antenna and, and the blood really managed to seal the breach in my suit, which kept me alive, even though the crew must have thought I was dead. I have no way to contact NASA. And even if I could, it's going to be four years until a manned mission can reach me. And I'm in a hab designed to last 31 days. If the oxygenator breaks, I'm going to suffocate. If the water reclaimer breaks, I'll die of thirst. If the hab breaches, I'm just going to kind of implode. And if by some miracle none of that happens, eventually I'm going to run out of food. So, yeah. So here we see the gravity of the situation settling in on Mark Watney. He realized he has no communication with NASA. And even if he did, it would take four years for a manned mission to come out to be able to provide him of any help. His, his water supply is in jeopardy. The habitat in which he's living in was designed for 31 days and his food supply was woefully short. He was in a tough situation and he knew it. You ever been there? Ever look around and go, yeah, this is great. Lost a job, family member, 
issues, struggle with a neighbor, sickness. You look around and you, this is difficult. This is hard. How did I get into this situation and how do I get myself out of it? I can tell you that I've been there. For me, the most difficult time in my life was when I was 13 years old. I grew up in a home of, of physical abuse and emotional abuse and verbal abuse. The only out that I had was my grandparents' house. That's where I found love. That's where I found security. That's where I found acceptance. That's where I found peace. But that was all ripped for me in a nanosecond when my grandfather, who was my hero, the person that I looked up to, committed suicide. And that was all ripped away from me. I had no out. I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to turn. Like, yeah, now what? So as much as I could in my 13-year-old brain, I put a plan in place. I was gonna save myself from this situation. So I became resolved as a young man not to let anybody ever hurt me again and not rely on anybody for anything else in my life. And I put my plan in motion. My plan was to spend no more time than necessary at home and to get out at the earliest age possible. You see, this is where we pick up Mark Watney in this situation. We find him putting a plan together to get himself out of the situation that he was in. The problem is water. I have created 126 square meters of soil but every cubic meter of soil requires 40 liters of water to be farmable. So I gotta make a lot more water. Good thing is I know the recipe. You take hydrogen, you add oxygen, you burn. Now I have hundreds of liters of unused hydrazine at the NDV. If I run the hydrazine over an iridium catalyst, it'll separate into N2 and H2. And then if I just direct the hydrogen into a small area, and burn it. Luckily, in the history of humanity, nothing bad has ever happened from lighting hydrogen on fire. NASA hates fire because of the whole fire makes everybody die in space thing. So everything they sent us up here with is flame retardant with the notable exception of Martinez's personal items. I am sorry, Martinez, but if you didn't want me to go through your stuff, you shouldn't have left me for dead on a desolate planet. By the way, I'm figuring you're going to be fine with this, given my present situation. Counting on you. See, we see here that Mark Watney is smart. He's a botanist. He knows that he has to grow food for him to survive. So what does he do? He creates soil. He figures out and knows how to create water because he's going to grow potatoes. 
Do you know what the average temperature is on Mars daily temperature? It's minus 80 degrees. Do you know how warm it has to be to grow potatoes? Between 40 and 80 above. So at best, he's 100, it's 120 degrees too cold for him to grow potatoes. But he figures it out. And even though that NASA didn't send him with anything that he could use to start the fire to kick his plan into motion, he finds this crucifix, whittles the wood to be able to set his plan in motion. But you know what I find most interesting about that clip? or the two things he says to that crucifix right at the very end. First, he says, God, I know you're gonna understand, give me some grace basically, because I'm whittling this crucifix to start this fire to, to save myself. And then secondly, he looks at that crucifix and says what? I'm counting on you. That despite all his math and all his science and all his smarts and this plan that he has in place, he's still recognizing that there is a God and then that God may just be involved in his circumstance. You know, and that amazes me when people who, who typically don't talk about God and God's work in their lives how quickly that they will turn to him in the prayer in the midst of difficult circumstances. Whether it's in their personal lives, such as a, a relationship issue or a health issue, something going on. But even in a broader context, when we think about 9-11, when we think about a school shooting, when we think about the senseless violence, there's a, there's a, a big call per, for prayer. We wanna get together and have a prayer vigil and we even do that in public places. But as soon as the, the memory of that tragedy or that issue kind of fades away, so does the reliance on God in prayer in our lives. You know I notice this the most? It's on my Facebook page. You know, all the, the, my cyber friends from my past that I haven't seen in 30 years that I went to high school with, their pages are littered with their kids and vacation photos and all the cool things that they do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's never any mention of God, of faith, of prayer, until something happens. And then their Facebook pages are filled with prayer requests and positive thoughts and vibes and all these things. And many of them will even send me a personal note via messenger because I think they think I have some special in with God because I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I love all those messages, by the way. But why is that? Why is it that in those times and only those times, people reach out and even acknowledge that there's a God? Well, you know, it's because I think each one of us, every single one of us has a general awareness of God that each one of us senses that there's someone or something bigger than we are. There's something that, that's kind of guiding the forces of this universe. There's, there's something out there, and if there is something out there, I want to make sure that I reach out to them just in case that they are able to help me. And for most of us, we believe that that person that is con in control is God. Well, this general awareness that we all feel is what theologians call general revelation. 
This is the, the knowledge that each of us has about God and his power that can be clearly seen throughout the universe. The stars in the skies, the seas, the birds, the flowers, all creation screams out that there is a God. It speaks to an existence of a powerful, wonderful creator. Look how King David puts it in, in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. And the apostle Paul puts it similarly um, to the Romans. If you look at Romans chapter, Romans chapter one, uh, verse 20, Paul writes, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without an excuse. That no man or no woman can deny God's existence by looking around. Not you, not me, not an astronaut stuck on Mars 140 million miles away. So in this clip, after this plea to God, Watney put his plan into action. He uses small pieces of wood. He lights them on fire. And just as he laughed and joked about the hydrogen, there's an explosion that happens. It rips a hole inside of this greenhouse type structure that he built. The potatoes are exposed to the extreme temperature and obviously they're all damaged and ruined. And as a result, his very plan to save himself also was ruined.
still want to hear all about our time here on Mars. I know that sucks. And it'll be hard talking to a couple about their dead son. It's a lot to ask. Which is why I'm asking you. I'm not giving up. We just need to prepare for every outcome. Please tell them. Tell them I love what I do. And I'm really good at it. And I'm dying for something big and beautiful. And greater than me. Tell them I said I can live with that. And tell them thank you for being reality has, has set in for him. And we, we can sense it in his, his crying out, almost his, his pounding on that roof, crying to God about the desperate situation that he finds himself in. See, what he believed was his last opportunity to save himself went up in a literal explosion. He was stuck and there was nothing he could do to save himself. And he sat over that landscape look and he knew that he was facing certain death. And the truth is that each one of us are going to face that very same death. That regardless of how much I run, no matter how much kale and cardboard-like gluten-free bread Mary eats, we are going to face a certain death. There's nothing that we can do about our physical death. But there's also another death that each one of us potentially faces, and that's a spiritual death. See, as I said earlier, the nature screams out that there is a creator God, a God that's created and sustains everything that we see. Well, that same creator God has created you and me. And he knows us intimately. And we just see how much so in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. Listen how King David writes this. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. You see, God not only created us, he did so intimately with every hair in our head, and out of him shaping and forming us, he falls in love with us, with each and every one of us. But the very first man and woman that he created 
Adam and Eve messed up that relationship. When they chose to sin against him, when they chose to disobey him and eat the fruit from the knowledge, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, sin entered the human race, just like poison entering the mouth of a stream, ruining everything beneath of it. Sin entered the world at that original, at that time, and has contaminated every person that's ever lived. That includes you and me. The apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is a God of love for sure, but God is also just. And he demands the penalty for that sin to be paid. And Paul tells us in Romans 6, 23, that that penalty is death. And this is the spiritual death that I am talking about. An eternal separation from the living God. Figuratively speaking, in our sin, we're, we're farther away from God than 140 million miles that separate Mars from Earth. Literally speaking, it's eternity living in hell, separated from him. And like Watney, trying to save himself from Mars, to get back to Earth, we too try to save ourselves from the situation that we are in with sin. We don't try to grow potatoes, but we try to do good things. We try to be a good husband, a good father, a good wife. We try to be kind. We go to church. We pray. We give of our time. We help those in need. We supply backpacks. And our hope is that somehow in these efforts, that they'll be, they'll be good enough at the end of the day to repair this broken relationship that we have with God. That somehow, some way, at the end of our life, the good things that we have done will outweigh the bad and it'll fix this relationship and somehow we'll earn our way into heaven. But God tells us through the prophet Isaiah that this is not possible because we cannot meet God's perfect standard. And he tells the prophet Isaiah in 64, 6 that all of our righteous works are like filthy rags. So there's nothing that we can do. We can't give enough. We can't come to church enough. We can't pray enough to fix this relationship that we have with God. We have a sin issue at our core and there is nothing that we can do about it. Like Watney, stuck on Mars, unable to save himself, we too are stuck with a sin issue that we are unable to save ourselves from. Someone else has to save us. For Watney, it was going to have to be NASA and a crew of the Hermes that left him behind in the first place. Annie will go before the media this morning and inform them of NASA's decision to reroute the Hermes to Mars. Sounds like a smart move, considering the circumstances. Whoever gave them the maneuver, they only passed along information. Crew made the decision on their own. You may have killed them, Mitch. 
We're fighting the same war. Every time something goes wrong, the world forgets why we fly. I'm trying to keep us airborne. It's bigger than one person. No. It's not. When this is over, I'll expect your resignation. Understand. Bring our astronauts home. So all throughout this movie, those in charge at NASA continue to wrestle with the question, are risking more lives worth that one life? Are all the resources and energy that it is going to take, is it worth risking those resources and spending those resources on that one life? Over and over and over again in this movie, the answer comes back a resounding yes. Ultimately, the crew of the Hermes, which was on its way home to Earth, had to turn around and travel another couple hundred days to go back the other way to risk their personal lives, time with their families, for the hope of trying to intercept him and rescue him from space. Because see, Watney was totally dependent on the mercy and grace of that crew to save him. Likewise, we too are dependent on the mercy and grace of someone else to save us. And that person that we are dependent upon is the very same person that we sin against in the first place, and that is God himself. And that mercy and grace comes to us in the form of Jesus Christ. And we see this in Romans chapter five, verse eight, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And scripture tells us further that this mercy and grace that God bestows upon us is not by things that we do, but it is a free gift offered to God on our behalf, offered from God on our behalf. And we see this in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, God loves us so much that he gave up his son Jesus, sent him from the perfection of heaven to take on flesh, to walk this earth, to be scorned, to be mocked, to be crucified, to ultimately die, but then be raised again from the dead to pay that penalty for our sins, past, present, and future, for for those that believe in him can repair their broken relationship with God. See, God's done his part. God sent his son on our behalf. He did that for us. That was the mercy and grace that we needed. In the movie, NASA and a crew of Hermes did their part as well. But Mark Watney had a decision to make, and we're gonna see that in this clip. Hook me up. Done. 
I visual on the map. What's the intercept range? I'm checking. 312 meters. Did you say 312? Great, I'll wave at you guys as I go by. Oh. I can't get to you, Mark. You're too far. I'm not gonna make it. I know. Beck, unhook me. I'm going after him. Commander, I got this. Per second. Copy. Just in course. Three point one meters per second. Distance to target twenty four meters. Eleven meters to target. Six meters. crew of the Hermes made it all the way back to Watney, out in space. But the problem was that he was more than three foot, based on their trajectory, he's going to be more than three football fields away. And Watney had a decision to make. He was going to have to take a step of faith to be able to intercept them and have a chance of his salvation. And when he does, he punctures a hole in his suit and flies off through space to rendezvous with one of his crewmates that had risked his, her life to save him. And you know, the same is true about our salvation, that we also have a responsibility, that we also have a decision to make. 
See, God's done his part. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay for the sins that we have committed and will commit against him. No, it's our choice. It's our responsibility to respond to that act of grace. And we see Paul write about this in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. You see, it takes profession and belief on our part. And this profession and faith ensures our salvation and restores our relationship with the living God that we can know with certainty today that we will live in heaven with him forever. That's the promise that the lost can be found. And the end of this movie doesn't disappoint. Right? Watney's saved. He's reunited with his crewmates. All the risk, all the investment that they went through, it all paid off. And it sets off a whole celebration when he stepped foot onto that spaceship when they realized the lost had been saved. And the theme in this movie reminds me of one of Jesus's um, most well-known teachings. It's called the, the parable of the lost sheep. If you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, we're gonna look at one to seven uh, real quickly. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. You see that the heavens rejoice when one sinner repents. The heavens rejoice when one person accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's how much God in the heavens care about each one of us. And it's not hard to notice in this parable, there's only two kinds of sheep. There are sheep that are lost and sheep that are not. The sheep that are not lost are under the care of the shepherd being cared for and nurtured and fed. And the sheep that are lost by themselves, you worry about them because they're vulnerable to attack. And many times they face a certain death. Well, the same, is for, the same thing's true for each one of us. That if, if you're not lost, you are under the care of the good shepherd, Jesus, caring for your every need. But if you are lost without a relationship with Jesus, you're wandering out on your own, susceptible to attack and facing a separation of God for eternity, facing a certain spiritual death. So as I close today, I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge those that aren't lost to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I want to challenge you this way. 
Are you doing your part to help find the lost? Are you using your time and your talents and your treasure to seek those and to share the love of Jesus with those that God has put in your path? It is throughout this whole movie, I don't even care to count how many times that countless people risk their reputations, their lives, their jobs to save Mark Watney. Are you doing the same thing in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your communities, in your workplace? This is what Jesus asks us to do. This is what Jesus commands us to do. John 15, 12 to 13 says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. No greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Are you doing that? Are you sold out, giving of yourself, praying for, asking, engaging those lost people that God has placed in your life, willing to risk your very reputation at school or at work to be a part of God saving that one lost person? God's put them in your path for a reason. And as I pray in just a moment, I'm gonna ask God to lay on your heart the names of those individuals that he wants you to pursue. Now for those that are lost today, I can tell you this, God is looking for you. God knows you intimately. God knows you from the time he's created you in your mother's womb. And he so desperately desires to have a relationship for you. So much so, he's already extended his mercy and grace to you, offering you a relationship with eternity in heaven with him. But you've got to respond and I'm going to give you a moment right now to do that, to be able to make that decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now. And know if you pray this prayer after me, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the work that God is doing inside of your heart that rescues you from the sin that you cannot save yourself from. Please bow your head with me. Father, I sit here before you for the first time realizing that I cannot save myself. There's nothing that I can do. There's no amount of stuff, no amount of good things that I can do, Father, to, to save myself from the sin issue that I have. But I've learned for the first time today you have extended grace and mercy to me to rescue me from the situation that I find myself in. And that is a free gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who comes to pay the penalty of my sins, past, present, and future. And it is today, right now in this moment, that I realize that. 
And Father, I am so sorry for the things I have done against you. Please forgive me. And I accept the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, to rescue me from my helplessness and to restore my relationship with you. God, I can't thank you enough because I was hopeless without you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your son, sending your son Jesus to save me. It's in his name that I pray, amen.